This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, really, really proud of uh, this football team, really proud to be with them. You know, we had a, whether it was individual or team, we went through a lot of adversity through the year just by the fact that there's, it's caused by not winning games in our, in our world. And, and uh, but I really uh, continue to say I really like this group because every day, every Monday when we came back to get ready once again to play, they were always ready to work and competed uh, every football game. At least we gave ourselves a chance to compete in a ton of games. And then in this last month, month and a half, we have played our best football and we probably played our best football game tonight. When a team can do that, fight through all the stuff that we did, that says a lot about the character of the young men that are in the program. You know, I'm born, bred, and corn-fed Nebraska, so to see a little bit of an old-school type offense was cool for me. Uh, you know, I said all the time, what I'm going to remember about this place is my time with my teammates, you know. Lucky enough to be here with a great group of guys and, and to play in front of some great fans like this. And that sets the stage here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as Nebraska 37-29 winner in the Foster Farms Bowl. And hey, how about this, guys? The 5-7 uh, and seven teams went 3-0 and oh in their bowl games. So poo-poo on you guys like Jerry Palm and... <laughs> All the haters out there that were just so mad about the five and seven teams getting into the bowl games. Well, right now they're winning the Capital One Bowl Challenge as the five and seven teams all, all took care of business uh, with Nebraska. But um, this is one of those games, and, and Robin, you were out there with me, obviously, and covered the entire week of practice where you didn't know what to expect. Um, just because you, you bowl games have the long layoff, they have finals week, you're traveling, you're at a fun location. You just didn't know what to come to expect from Nebraska because of the season they had. And um, we knew Mike Riley had a good bowl record. I mean, he was 6-2 and two going into the game, now 7-2 and two overall. So he, something about his preparation process clearly has worked. And, and it worked again for Nebraska, um, the way they came out of that game and, and just how crisp and how clean they played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think leading up to that, uh, game for about the past month or so they're saying all the right things you know talking about how this was a great opportunity for the program and uh, a tone setter for 2016 but I think in the back of a lot of people's minds was you know okay show it prove it you know I mean this is a, a, a situation where Nebraska so many times is you know falling up short you know this season in, in a game like this with an opportunity like this and so uh, to see this team come out with just like you said the, the, the crispness and um, efficiency and dedication to their game plan you know they didn't get thrown off kilter even when they were down 14 points early on that uh, they stuck with their plan they executed properly and look what happened they ended up having one of their best overall games in the entire season to cap things off I think when you look at that seven and two record um, in bowl games for Mike Riley that speaks to his preparation when he's given that extra time to look at an opponent and kind of break down their weaknesses that's where he's really at his best and you saw that in this game uh, UCLA down a couple of their best defenders injury-wise, 88th in the country against the run. What does Mike Riley and Danny Langsdorf do? They just pound the rock. They pound the rock. UCLA couldn't stop it. And I think there was a significant size advantage on Nebraska's end of it. And I heard Rick Neuheisel uh, talk about this on the radio this week after the game. His son Jerry's obviously a backup quarterback, and Rick was the head coach at UCLA before Jim Mora. But um, he said, when I saw Nebraska come out on the field and I looked at their guys versus UCLA's guys, the matchups weren't even close as far as physicality. Um, and, and he goes, this goes back to UCLA. They, they don't have a training table. 
They don't have nutritionists on staff. The players aren't really on any kind of dietary plans. And he's like, the most important thing you can have. It's the fuel. And, you know, that's if UCLA wants to take the next step forward, they have to get bigger. And I think Mike Riley really exposed that um, with the, you know, the physical size advantage Nebraska had in that game up front. Well, how many times have we seen it over the course of Nebraska football history? Whenever a team, an opponent comes in with this advantage of speed, how do you counter that? punch him in the face and that's exactly what nebraska did from the opening snap and again you got to credit uh danny langsdorf and mike riley for sticking with that game plan because you know there was a point there when you know after they threw that what 70 yard touchdown pass to make it 21 7 that uh there was a bit of a concern that you know they were going to revert back to airing it out 50 times with tommy armstrong to try and keep pace with that that's not how nebraska wins and that obviously uh proved that i mean that they stuck with their plan they continued to just pound it up the gut get four five six seven yards up a carry uh, right up the middle and uh, use that size advantage uh, to its full extent and they were zero and four when armstrong threw it four to- 40 times or more this year nate uh, when you look at UCLA, you know the recruiting guys. I mean, give Husker fans just an idea the talent that was on that Bruin roster when you when you break down the guys that were in that game. Well, there's a sizable talent, uh, you know, difference between UCLA and Nebraska. I mean, UCLA is they're a top 15, um, you know, team in the recruiting rankings year in and year out, um, and and they've had a couple top 10 finishes in there as well. So uh, their their roster from top to bottom is littered with you know four and five star talent. Um, they're able to they recruit you know Southern California extremely well and really across the the whole entire West Coast. So, um, you know, their their overall talent was was uh, much greater than Nebraska. Uh, but again, it, it's a credit to the Huskers is sticking with that game plan and uh, and really, I think uh, just taking the taking the weight off of Tommy Armstrong's shoulders and not making him you know feel like he was the one who had to to win the game. You know, put it on other people and, and just let Tommy kind of manage things. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Nebraska finishes the year six and seven. Uh, lots of momentum now going into the offseason and recruiting. And, and Robin, that's big. I mean, we, we know what it's like around this place when you've got dedicated talk radio about Husker football year-round and message boards and, you know, when 50 media members regularly covering this team. To win the last game of the year, it, it just makes everything easier for this whole entire state uh, because if they go out and lose the bowl game, finish 5-8, and eight, um, it, it wasn't the season people wanted. But it just makes the offseason, I think, a little bit more easier to go through. Right. And, you know, you can look at it. You know, they're they're still sub-500 team. They won the Foster Farms Bowl, which I think most people didn't even realize that bowl existed before this season. Uh, and, you know, they, they beat a UCLA team that probably didn't care a whole lot about being there. But so what? You know, when you look at what this game meant for Nebraska, it was absolutely huge just from a momentum standpoint, uh, you know, from a team morale and, of course, recruiting standpoints. And I think most importantly of all, it was the manner in which they won. I mean, they went back to old school, uh, you know, bruising three clouds in the, or three yards in a cloud of dust style of football that uh, Nebraska fans know and love. And, you know, they, they took it to a West Coast team that was, you know, known for their speed and finesse and just grinded them, grinded them into the turf. And so I think that, that left a really good taste in a lot of fans' mouths that, uh, you know, as disappointing and frustrating as this season has been, uh, to, to cap things off like that, at least got some pretty solid vibes, uh, just, you know, of positivity going into 2016. Yeah, this had a chance to be a really ugly offseason. If Nebraska had lost that game, especially in bad fashion, I think 
you know, being five and eight in Mike Riley's first year and uh, w- with a what looked like a relatively easy schedule, I think that would have created a very toxic environment around this team. I think people would have been really unhappy. I think there would have been some unrest in the locker room to win that game and win it really pretty convincingly, I think, just gives some confidence not only to the team but to this fan base, and it's not going to be toxic this offseason. There is kind of a hope that Nebraska can build off of that going into next year. Yeah, there can be, Dan, just such a cynical nature with Husker fans. Exactly. I mean, it's, I mean no matter what, a lot of times with Husker fans, I feel like it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that cynical nature can, can make it very tough when you don't have a game the next week. Yeah, it, it's so true. And, uh, you know, when you've got seven months just to sit there and stew over the results of the season, it's so much easier to feel good about your team when they're coming off a great performance like they had uh, in the Foster Farms Bowl versus, you know, a, a stinker like Nebraska's had in some bowl games over the past couple of years. All right, we've got a full show here planned uh, as um, we get ready to kick off the new year here. Uh, mostly football talk today. Uh, we will break down more about the offensive direction Nebraska's going to go uh, here next in our next segment. Uh, we'll talk more about Malik Collins' decision to go to the NFL as well as Vincent Valentine. Uh, who still is weighing his options, and uh, we'll have our weekly stock watch, and uh, Nate Klaus will give us a rundown of where things are at in Husker recruiting as we close the show. When we come back, though, we will talk offense and, and kind of where things are at after this Foster Farms Bowl. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Part of it was a game plan deal of what we thought we could do. The other part was what we really want to do. You know, I've made a point earlier that what we eventually want to do next year is be in the top three in the league and running the football. And when you can do that, then life goes better everywhere. We didn't necessarily have to wait till next year to start with that idea. You know, we we proved it. Um, You know, we got a lot of fight, a lot of heart from this team. Um, you know, our coaching staff believed in us, and uh, that's all we wanted to do was just get out there and have another game and um, just have a little bit more fun with those seniors. And uh, I think we, we played our hearts out today for those guys, and, um, you know, they did the same thing for us. And back here on the Husker Online Show, you heard Mike Riley and quarterback Tommy Armstrong just talking about that offensive game plan for Nebraska that featured 62 rushes a season high for over 300 yards. And Dan... Uh, as we bring Dan Hopp and Robin Washington and Nate Klaus back into the show. Um, give us an idea of, of those numbers because you, you did a breakdown this week and by the numbers as far as play calls and, and the, the number of rushing attempts Nebraska had in this game. Yeah, not counting um, a sack and two kneel downs at the end of the game, Nebraska ran 59 times on 78 plays. So they called a running, a running play on 75.6% of their plays. That's an incredibly high number and that's not sustainable over the course of the season. But like we talked about in the first segment, this was a matchup that really kind of uh, fed into that, that Nebraska was going to be able to push UCLA around. And I think you saw it, it's, it's established on first down. Nebraska ran 37 first down plays, 35 of them were runs. And Nebraska averaged 5.6 yards. Hold per, on, say that again, first down runs? There are 37 first down plays in this game. Nebraska ran on 35 of them. Wow. And they averaged 5.6 yards per carry on those runs. So, I mean, you're talking huge success on first down. That's putting you in second and short, third and short, 
those are manageable situations. That's why Nebraska is able to pile up 31 first downs, hold the ball for over 38 minutes, and keep that UCLA offense off the field. And Robin, the real, I think, not surprise, but I think got the, the biggest thing that I took out of that running game was the emergence of Divino Zigbo. Uh, we knew what Amani Cross can do. Uh, we, we've seen Terrell Newby, uh, but we've only gotten little taste of Divino Zigbo this year on Saturday in that bowl game. We got the full meal. I mean, we got everything with that guy. They gave him a lot of carries and and really gave us an idea of what this guy could do maybe next year. Well, it's frustrating, I know, for a lot of people that after, in that Illinois game, you know, when they almost came back and uh, or should have won that thing, you know, it was Divino Zigbo and uh, Andy Janovich that really kind of carried the load there late. And uh, after that game, you know, he hardly even was a factor in the running back rotation. I mean, just saw a handful of carries for the rest of the year and then all of a sudden comes back in and gets 21 touches for 87 yards. I mean, that that was a, a pretty uh, you know, hearty welcome back into the, the mix. And he goes along with that commitment to the power running game. And I think that with the past couple weeks of bowl practice, you know, Danny Langsdorf said uh, he was just really liking the way Zigbo was running. I mean, he they admitted Imani Cross was feeling a little beat up with the amount of uh, workload that he had uh, towards the end of the year and obviously Terrell Newby has had that lingering uh, ankle injury so uh, you know he was a little bit beat up and so was Zigbo just from a health standpoint was was ready to take on that type of load and uh, you know talk about taking advantage of an opportunity he more than did that in that game. I really like what Nebraska's offensive coaches did for most this year but one of the most confounding things was how they handled this running back rotation. I mean Divine is like, well, he had 17 career carries coming into this game and then has 21 in the bowl game. Terrell Newby is the lead back all season. Then he has four carries in the bowl game. Mikhail Wilbon looks great in the opener and then doesn't see the field literally for the rest of the season. It, it was just so up and down week to week. You had no idea who the lead back was going to be, who was going to be the most carries. UCLA didn't have an idea. No, sure. and I, I don't know. I, is that really sustainable? You know, in, in the future, I think this, these players would like to have a little bit more defined roles. Yeah, I want to get your take on this, Nate, because uh, you, you covered Divine as a recruit. You know Trey Bryant coming in, and he could be a guy that plays next year. I mean, what do you envision, Nate, for this running back rotation? Do you think Ozigbo could emerge as the number one, or is Newby and him going to kind of split it? Uh, with maybe somebody else emerging in there as well. But, I mean, what, what do you envision next year? Well, what I see is that Nebraska really wants a physical running back, and uh, and I think Divine Ozigbo uh, brings that to the table. I, I think that earlier on in the season, they would have liked to see him be, you know, a little bit more physical in between the tackles, and I think that's maybe why some of his carries were limited. I know that's something that he was really working on in practice was, um, you know, being able to run between the tackles and, and finish his runs more than anything else. And, you know, on the recruiting front, that's kind of what they've wanted to add is uh, someone who can run between the tackles, finish runs, uh, but also be a guy that could be a three down back, be able to, to pass protect, be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. And that's what, you know, Divine of Zigbo does that well. Uh, Trey Bryant does that extremely well. The, the running back out of St. Louis that they're bringing in in this 2016 class, he's, he's a very well-rounded, um, you know, back on all fronts, you know, whether it's running outside, inside, catching the ball out of the backfield. And as a pass protector so um you know it i think the most inter interesting thing about divino zigbo though is the fact that you know he was a late pickup he was one of those late additions to to this and those don't always work out and yeah exactly they don't always work out but um you know it's charlton warren that kind of put this new staff on divino zigbo late of course warren ended up going to north carolina but uh, it was then it was reggie davis that really sealed the deal let me ask you this, Nate. If I would have asked you back on August 25th, 
who had a better chance to play here? Um, the kid that left, Jordan Stevenson or Divine Ozigbo. I, I think most people probably would have said Ozigbo, not Ozigbo. I mean, uh, Stevenson was the guy uh, for the future of this team. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. If you were going to say which which true freshman, two running Texas back, kids, yeah, two Texas kids. You know, which true freshman running back had the the opportunity to kind of maybe go into next season with a chance to to be the clear cut number one? I think most people would have told you Jordan Stevenson, but uh, it was Divino Zigbo that really grabbed that that role and and could very well be you know kind of the 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 front runner heading into next year. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we put a wrap on offense for Nebraska and their victory over UCLA in the Foster Farms Bowl. And, and Robin, I, th- I think it's pretty clear when you look at what the game plan was in this game and, and maybe what it will be going forward. Uh, we touched on this already, but keep the ball out of Tommy Armstrong's hands. And when, when you run the football at that rate, it pulls the safeties down. There's a lot of one-on-one situations. When a Tommy Armstrong is able just to have a one-on-one, he can make those throws, but... When he has to read a defense with seven or eight guys in coverage, that's just not his strong suit. And when Nebraska was throwing the ball 48 times against Iowa, there's seven or eight guys blanketing the field in, in coverage drops, and, and that just wasn't working for Tommy Armstrong. You're setting yourself up to lose if you try and win a game with solely on Tommy Armstrong's arm. You know, he's as good as he can be at times. I mean, that type of volume of passing is just not in his skill set, and that's the book on him across the country. Any opponent Nebraska plays, and, you know, in that game, he only threw the ball 19 times, completed 12 of them for 174 yards and a touchdown, and uh, a lot of those came on just key third-down conversions, you know, that just moved the chains and allowed them to continue to beat UCLA's defense up uh, in the front seven. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that stat where they're 0-4 when Tommy... Over 40. And they're 6-2 and two if he keeps it like... 18 throws to 35 throws. Yeah, and I think they're 3-0 and in games where he's thrown it 28 times or less with wins over Michigan State, Rutgers, and UCLA. Arguably three of Nebraska's better performances of the season. So uh, it's pretty obvious what Nebraska needs to do to win with Tommy Armstrong. And hopefully this was the wake-up call this coaching staff needed that uh, you know maybe stick to the plan a little bit longer than they have been. Let me pose this question for all three of you guys. I know there was a lot of talk after the Iowa game because it was just such a souring performance by Tommy that, hey, Patrick O'Brien could come in and unseat him in the spring. I'll start with you first, Dan, and and kind of keep your thoughts on this short. Um, Do you think O'Brien now legitimately has a shot, or do you think Armstrong's the guy? It feels very unlikely after Tommy had a good game like that. I think that O'Brien could come in, and if he has an impressive performance, he could at least keep himself, you know, in the coach's minds heading into the fall. As a solid number two. Yes, where if Tommy falters, maybe he could take it, but I would have a hard time seeing him being the starter on opening day. Nate Klaus? Uh, I, I still think it's likely uh, that, that Patrick O'Brien pushes for that number one job. Uh, I think that he comes in with uh, you know a very well-rounded skill set and you know arguably uh, just as just as good I think uh, of a skill set uh, that that Tommy Armstrong has and that um, you know if the coaches take it off of the quarterback's uh, shoulders that that O'Brien could very well be a guy that to operate the offense too. I don't know if it'll happen for that first game, but I still think O'Brien has a chance to push for that starting spot. Returning captain Tommy Armstrong. Robin, what are your thoughts on, on, on how it plays out? Week one, I have zero question that he will be the starting quarterback unless something absolutely crazy happens over the offseason uh, just because of the fact that you know he is going to be a fourth-year returning starter and captain and coming off you know a really strong performance in the bowl. But – 
he has to get better. There's zero question about it. There's been a point in his career where he's plateaued a bit and you know it has reverted back to a lot of the mistakes that have been plaguing him since the day that he first took his first start. So uh, he has to show signs of improvement. And I think maybe the best thing of all is he finally has somebody to push him. You know, you look back over his career, no offense to Riker Fife or any of those other guys, but Tommy Armstrong, it's basically been, you know, one and then, you know, level three, four, five behind him. I mean, there's been no clear guy that's really pushed him to for that starting spot. And so I think finally having O'Brien here in the mix will at least maybe, uh, you know, wake up the, the the competition spirit in him a little bit to where he has to go out there and earn that thing. It'll be a tougher schedule out of the gates. Fresno State to open, Wyoming, Oregon. Uh, so not exactly um, very many tune-up games. I mean, you've got three pretty quality non-conference teams. I mean, Wyoming didn't have a great year, but you know Craig Bull um, is a guy that can coach, and that, and that won't be necessarily just – um, a cakewalk for Nebraska to show up and win. So uh, lots to chew on and discuss as we start to look ahead. But we'll talk more defense next, uh, more about Malik Collins and his decision to declare early for the NFL. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, this is my final season in Nebraska. Well, uh, it's always been a dream of mine, and um, I got a good grade back. I talked it over with my teammates and I talked it over with Coach Riley and uh, it seems like the best decision for me. I mean, if I return, I mean, obviously we're going to miss him. He's a big piece of our team. But, um, and I mean, I played with him the last three years side to side and uh, I mean, obviously he'll be missed. But, I mean, and if I do leave, I, I mean, I'm, maybe we'll see each other again. But, um, I mean, it's, he's obviously a big part of our team and we, we're definitely going to miss him. And back here on the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washa, Dan Hoppett, and Nate Klaus, as you just heard Malik Collins in his postgame statement about declaring for the NFL. And then the impending decision now for Vincent Valentine, who's also submitted his name for a grade. And you look at this team coming back, um, they're pretty much everybody on defense is returning, uh, other than some guys in the secondary that didn't even play in the bowl game, like Daniel Davey and Jonathan Rose. Byerson Cocker, obviously not returning, but. Um, Jack Gangwish. Uh, Jack Gangwish. A very good core, though, in general, returning. Um, we, we had an idea, I think, Malik Collins was going to go pro. Um, Vincent is, is is a mystery. I, I think he wants to basically be told the right thing so he can go pro. Um, I, I just get that feeling right now. I don't know, Robin. You were in on that interview with him as well. Uh, it, it just seems like... If he hears the right two or three things, he's definitely gone at this point. Yeah, I think that's the case for most players. I mean, if you hear that magical, you know, guaranteed... What's you know, the round he wants to hear, basically? you got to be top two, I think, if to leave early. I mean, anything lower than that is basically a waste of time unless you're completely checked out of college and uh, don't don't want to come back and deal with any he has his He has his degree, though. Yeah, which, so that could be a factor. But, uh, you know, from a football standpoint, I mean, I think most people that look at his situation, uh, I would probably say another year as the number one guy in the middle of Nebraska's defensive line would probably be pretty, uh, you know, good for him. Uh, just just because, you know, you're, you're getting that, that spotlight as the, the anchor of that defensive line. You know, you don't have Lee Collins overshadowing you, and, uh, you know, you, you get a chance to put a lot more time on film. So uh, I, I still – it's, it's going to come down to, you know, what he's hearing from that evaluation. Obviously, Malik heard the number he wanted to, uh, and now with him out of the picture, I think that also kind of impacts, you know, Valentine's way of thinking as far as the advantages of coming back for another year at Nebraska. Dan, how much do you think the productivity, though, is going to play a factor? I mean, you look at the stat line. Ten tackles. For Vincent Valentine, and, I mean, 
put it in perspective, um, the, the the guy um, Kenny Clark was his name, right for, mm-hmm. uh, for UCLA. I think he had eleven tackles as a DT in that game. Mm-hmm. He just announced this week he is going to leave early from UCLA, and he's projected more as a second round talent, I think, than a first round guy. So I, this is a very deep defensive tackle class, by the way. So it's not like you know some of these guys are going to get inched up just because teams have a need at the position. I really, I mean, it's kind of like we've talked about. I think Vincent, in the back of his mind, really kind of wants to go pro, and he wants somebody to tell him you should go pro to kind of validate that. But I just don't think it's smart. I think he just had so many, you know, nagging injuries this year that kind of held him back. If he can come back and have a big senior season, he could vault himself back back up into those top couple rounds. He is a very talented player, but. He, I don't think he put together the body of work this year that's going to get him drafted yeah, early. What do you think, Nate? What's held Vincent back maybe from having that home run season? He's had a lot of moments, but never a full season. Well, I think it's always been about conditioning and about staying healthy for him. And if he wanted to go pro, this is a year for him to do it to, because he had a guy like Malik Collins next to him to, to take, maybe take a lot of pressure off of him. I, I think that, um, you know, just it's always been about conditioning and, and about staying healthy for Vincent. And he, I think he needs to prove that he can do both of those things and, um, you know, I guess really take care of his body in all manners uh, in order to, to put together, you know, a season of work to, to make it worth, you know, being a, you know, a top, you know, two or three round draft pick in the NFL. And the argument, and I don't like, I don't agree with this take. Um, at all, but you hear people say, "Oh, he, maybe there was some clashing with position coaches or the scheme on defense." That, that to me, that that's BS. Because when you go to the NFL, yeah. you're going to have different coaches, different people coaching you. Um, it's it's business, boys. You you, you, you just got to get used to it. You can't pick your position coaches. You can't pick your coordinators. You can't pick your scheme. You got to earn a check and play football. Um, so if if that's why he wants to leave, if he doesn't really believe in maybe the full scheme or maybe how it's worked compared to what it did for him a year ago. I think that's a bad reason why to leave. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, like you said, it's a business and if you don't like what you're doing, then well, they'll show you the door <laughs> the very next day. So uh, you, you got to put your ego aside at times. Especially. I don't think anybody's really said that, but I believe that is one of the things that's, that's pushing him out the door a little bit. In my opinion, I just think he doesn't have that full belief whether it's a position coach or the scheme. Yeah, very well could be because I know that there was a lot of guys in that locker room, you know, that uh, you know, the coaches and players said without saying that, you know, weren't exactly, you know, fully buying into what was happening here. And it's, I think the results on the field had a lot to do with that. And, uh, you know, maybe Vincent's lack of statistical production played a part in that. You know, the fact that he thought he was going to have bigger numbers and, uh, you know, figured that this scheme was to blame instead of his own poor performance. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Let's shift the conversation on defense now over to some of the young guys that emerged in the bowl game. And we knew going in, Dan, that Aaron Williams was going to be somebody that was going to play the nickel. Uh, but the biggest surprise that came out of that game was Antonio Reed. You know, and, and Mark Banker made this comment after the game that during bull practices, Antonio Reed was very intense and it, he basically started that all out melee brawl and practice <laughs> that Alex Lewis headbutted him with his helmet on. And, mm-hmm. you know, just you know, he's an intense guy. And, and we saw when, when Gary got thrown out of the game. Um, which we'll talk about that in Stockwatch. Uh, but when Gary got thrown out, Reed stepped right in, and, and the defense didn't really miss a beat. I loved seeing that, seeing him and Aaron Williams on the field at the same time. The young guys finally getting their opportunity. And 
And hey, Antonio Reed played great. He had four tackles, which was tied for third most on the team. He forced a fumble. You know, obviously, he made some mistakes. You know, he's a true freshman playing safety, uh, you know, in a, in a critical situation for the first time. But that's what, I mean, that's not necessarily what bowl games are for, but that's kind of one of the advantages to a bowl game is you can kind of get a peek at some of these younger guys and see what they can do. And I think Reed and Williams are two guys that we kind of got a better feel for. And they didn't tip their hand a lot, Robin, on Reed playing in, in that type of role. Mike Riley kept saying it was going to be status quo, status quo, and they were throwing names out like Trey Mosley and you know other other guys like that that could play, which Trey Mosley, from all accounts, is leaving the program. So it never made sense that they were throwing out some of those guys seeing the field in that game. But you know Reed was one that they didn't mention really at all, but he, and he played as big of a role in that game as anybody. Yeah, you know there was a bit. I mean, just a lot of like projecting towards you know the future. There was he his name came up, but as far as this game was concerned, certainly uh, didn't appear to have nearly the 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 factor in line for him uh, in that game but uh, going into that game on Friday you know Riley said that you know he's Antonio Reed has moved into the number two safety spot and so of course uh, you know when Nate Geary goes down you have Aaron Williams moving up to play the nickel uh, there was a, a huge void there at safety all of a sudden that uh, you know Antonio Reed certainly stepped up and um, you know I think that will continue to be I mean, when you look into the offseason he's going to compete for a starting job I think I mean especially with they, they really like Aaron Williams at nickel you know I don't think that they're ready to commit to him full time as that guy but in that nickel package Antonio Reed has a chance to be one of the number one safeties alongside Nate Geary and of course he'll continue to work in as the in the dime formation you know it's kind of where he got his uh, majority of his playing time this season so uh, I think he he was starting to come on as uh, more and more of a factor and he will continue to do so with a great opportunity uh, in 2016. And Nate I found it fitting um, in the spring one of your defensive back sources told you that Chris Jones and Joshua Kalu were Nebraska's best two corners. And, you know, I thought it made a lot of sense in the last game of the year. Those were the two guys on the field making plays. Aaron Williams was in there making plays. I mean, it was just, it was a whole new look secondary from the one that we saw struggle early on in the year against the passing teams like Miami and Southern Miss. Yeah, I think it was all about confidence for a lot of those younger guys like a Joshua Kalu and a Chris Jones uh, from a skill set standpoint uh, and just you know overall size I think uh, and makeup those two guys had the total you know kind of the total package of what you want um, and and they flash that at times throughout fall camp and, and throughout the season but they just didn't have it you know didn't have the confidence to put it all together uh, but they finally did in that bowl game by the way it's very important that we call him Joshua Kalu. Yeah. Uh, Kalu didn't conduct any interviews with media this season until after the bowl game when he told Steve Sibble of the Lincoln Journal Star that was because people called him Josh in their articles and he didn't appreciate that. He His name is Joshua. And he also doesn't sign autographs. No, he's he's kind of a quirky guy. He's an acquired taste and hopefully we do get a chance to get to know young Joshua better because he's going to be a great player in the secondary going forward. All right, when we come back, we'll shift over to the stock watch and we'll talk more about the controversial ejection of Nebraska's Nathan Gary. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I thought that it was a clean hit. I thought it was a good hit. If you saw me standing next to the young man on the field, that's what I was telling him. I said that was a really good football play. I've seen a lot of good football players, or a lot of good football plays. I thought that was a very good football play, and I was stunned that, that, uh, that he got thrown out of the game, quite frankly. He's a good player. 
told me it's, he was, we were standing there on the field talking. He says, I can't believe I'm about to get thrown out of the second game in a row. I guess he got thrown out of one recently. But I, I, I didn't see that as a dirty play at all. I thought it was a good football play. And back here on the Husker Online Show as we begin our stock watch segment, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppin, and Nate Klaus. And that was UCLA head coach Jim Mora uh, commenting about the ejection, the targeting penalty on Nebraska junior safety Nathan Gary. It was the second consecutive game where Gary had been called and ejected. I think the Iowa one was a little bit more decisive uh, that you probably could have ejected him for. But this one um, became a hot topic all over social media everybody nationally disagreed with the call you heard Jim Mora disagree Mike Riley disagreed we have not talked to Nathan uh, but I think if anything stock up first of all because maybe this play itself has opened the discussion at a higher level than we've ever seen it Robin uh, with, with these targeting penalties but stock down obviously for the call itself yeah, you know, going to your first point, I mean, the fact that this was, you know, not only a nationally televised, you know, primetime game, it was the only game on. And so everybody that's, you know, a college football fan was watching this game. And uh, for most people, I'd say I mean, probably everyone that saw that play outside of the replay official, uh, that was a perfectly clean textbook, fundamentally sound tackle by Nate Geary that, you know, that that's what football is all about. Just a good tough strong hit you know head up put his shoulder led with his shoulder did everything right and they still flagged it it was like a chest tackle it was he brought his arms wrapped up and everything and plus the receiver had turned and started going up the field so he wasn't a defenseless player anymore and so you know the 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 ruling on the field i mean bang bang plays happened that's what the replay official is there for and uh for them to not only you know rule it on the field but then go back and watch the same replays we all saw and confirm it wasn't it was an acc crew yeah, the ACC crew that was also suspended for that Miami Duke game. How they, they got the assigned a bowl call. game even is yeah, beyond incredible. Yeah. Unbelievable. So that, that was certainly, uh, a, a, I mean, it got the discussion going. I mean, you have Kirk Herbstreet and other national analysts, you know, just clamoring that the rule needs to be changed. Hopefully this will be the lightning rod that finally gets it going. I guess the only saving grace, Dan, is it was in the second quarter. So Gary won't be suspended yeah. for the first half of the Wyoming game now next year, or Fresno State game next year. How weird would that have been if Nate Gary, I mean, you go over, you're basically suspended for like a seven-month period <laughs> because you know you're not going to be playing in that first game. and. Uh, you know, it, it was kind of disappointing. We talked earlier about how it opened the door for Antonio Reed to get in there and see some playing time, and we thought he played well. But Nate Gary, or excuse me, Nathan Gary, uh, you know, he was playing pretty well at the end of the season too. I thought his play had kind of started to pick up, and Nebraska lost him early in that bowl game. That was uh, kind of disappointing to see. It'll be interesting to see kind of where, where that goes going forward. Um, you know, one of the things uh, a lot of young guys play, and that's our next stock up, Nate, as uh, several different young players emerged uh, on this team, both offensively and defensively, in that true freshman class. Yeah, when you look at all the young players that were making an impact in the game, you know, you start with Divino Zigbo on offense, the true freshman running back, the true freshman wide receiver Stanley Morgan. You have you've got Nick Gates who who really solidified himself as, you know, arguably the top offensive lineman on the team as a redshirt freshman. You know, and then all those young defensive backs, um, you know, with uh, Chris Jones, uh, Kalu, uh, Antonio Reed. I mean, those are all guys who are you know a year or two into the program. Um, you know, freedom at at, uh, at defensive end. So, I mean, just up and down this whole roster, you had a lot of young guys making an impact. 
All right, Dan, what's your stock up here? I know you had some pretty good ones uh, you drew up here. Ball security. That's something that – and not not so much with interceptions in the passing game because that was bad this year. But Nebraska's had so many fumble issues over the last couple seasons. They only had 11 all season this year. Only six lost fumbles, which is tied for 22nd best in the country. Um, and maybe most impressively, only three fumbles all season long by Nebraska's running backs. And they only lost one. And it was a Southern Miss fumble by Imani Cross. Yes, that was the only one all year. One by Azigbo, one by Andy Janovich, and those are both recovered by Nebraska. So none by Newby. Just really impressive, the ball security that Nebraska displayed. A lot of controversy on how Reggie Davis maybe rotated or played running backs, but I don't think anyone's questioning the way he developed guys and, and did some of these little things like you just mentioned. Absolutely. And, and, you know, no offense to Amir, he was a absolutely fantastic player, one of the best college football players I've seen um, come through at Nebraska. But he did have a bit of a fumbling issue, and when he left, that was gone this year. All right, Robin, watch that. What's your stock up? We touched on this earlier, but you got to tip the hat to Danny Langstorff for not only drawing up the, the right game plan for how to beat UCLA and how to maximize Nebraska's offense, but again, sticking with it. Uh, you know, there's been so many times over the course of this season, you know, where they've had that intent that we're going to grind the ball and uh, rely on the running game and, you know, let the run dictate the pass. And then as soon as the tides turn and, you know, the, the opponents, you know, gets an early lead, uh, they, they completely revert back to just an area, uh, aerial assault and throw, throw the ball far more than they need to. But, uh, you know, Danny being Danny, he, he was able to run the ball 62 times, but, but did it in his own way. Uh, you know, they had uh, three ride receiver rushes and ended the game with a reverse to Seathan Carter to seal the deal. So they, they had their own, you know, their, their own little touch on it. So it wasn't just a complete, you know, Maryland I type, you know, power running game that uh, other teams use. But uh, you know what? If it works, it works. Man, that reverse would have looked a lot better in some of those fourth quarters against Illinois and Wisconsin no when they needed those late first downs uh, to Seaton Carter, who, who, by the way, that's another stock up we didn't mention, the way he no. played um, and the way he physically manhandled people in blocking. I mean, there was one play where he just got on the ground and made a guy his you-know-what. I mean, it, it was impressive to see him play at the end of the year. All right, we're going to shift over now. Stock down, and I'm going to start with the weathermen. Um, I mean, my God. They had us thinking, first of all, Christmas Eve, oh, we're going to get one inch of snow. Eight inches later, um, you know, church is getting canceled, everything. And then here, Robin and I are enjoying California. We have Monday flights, so we could have one more day out there, go eat a big seafood lunch Ooh. in Palo Alto, um, and, and enjoy, you know, and write some good stories and take advantage of the last day out there. We scurry, we hurry. I'm on the phone with guys on customer service lines that barely speak English for Delta Airlines <laughs> to get our flights switched, paid a hundred bucks to do it because of this major snowstorm coming. Boom. One inch. Yeah. We got, got a little, some dusting on the driveway. So certainly disappointing. I'm not, I'm not complaining too much. That I don't have to get out there and shovel my driveway a whole bunch, but still, you know, a, a day at, uh, you know, the, the, another day in the West coast, uh, in Palo Alto would have been nice. This would be the equivalent of me predicting that UCLA was going to win the Foster Farms Bowl 105 to three. And, and then <laughs> the outcome plays out like it, like they were so incredibly wrong and, it's frustrating, more so for you guys. I mean, obviously, it didn't affect me at all, but... Sorry. Like our friend Michael Severe uh, tweeted, uh, what are you going to do now with those three gallons of milk? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Better start chugging. <laughs> all right, let's close out. Um, this is, you know, we talked about Malik Collins going pro, and, and we've talked about Vincent Valentine going pro, but one other curveball, Robin, after the game was Kevin Williams saying that he may not come back. 
what was your take on that? Yes, you know, remember just a few weeks, about a month ago or so, when it was finally learned that, you know, he was going to get his sixth year of eligibility uh, after, you know, missing two years to injury and, you know, figured to be a kind of a key piece to that defensive tackle rotation, if not a starter going ahead to next year. He's not a backup. No, he's not a backup. (laughs) So, so, you know, that it was after the game, you know, Malik had just announced, Vincent said he was still debating and, uh, you know, I I was able to walk with him because he had to get to the team bus. You know, I was talking to him about his role next year and uh, the fact that, you know, he's coming back for six year and, you know, he said, well, I'm still debating. And, you know, I was like, whoa, kind of threw me for a loop there. So I was like, what's up with that? He's like, I just got some things to think about, you know, with my family and, uh, you know, I'll know here in, in a little bit, but uh, made it made it pretty clear that uh, nothing is for certain with his status. And you look back on that game, uh, he had a very limited role. He did not record a single statistic in that game and seemed to play minimal snaps. And, you know, maybe that was just frustration of his role. And the Davis twins talking. are coming up. Yeah, but he does. Nick, you know, Stoltenberg. Nick Stoltenberg's coming up back. And uh, so there's going to be some serious competition, especially if Valentine comes back too. I mean, all of a sudden, that's, that's a starting job that is already you know, a called for so uh yeah it, it was kind of a surprise that you know a guy that we figured was going to be uh you know one of the team lead, you know senior six-year senior leaders on that defense may not be back next year all right guys well, robin dan enjoy your new year's eve and new year's and um and, and take advantage of watching all this great football yeah it should be fun i'm looking forward to it all right guys thanks a lot for another great year we'll close the show with nate klaus and, and get an update on what the foster farm bowl might have done for nebraska on the recruiting trail This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online show as we put a wrap on things with recruiting and Nate Klaus. Nate for Nebraska, lots of momentum when you look at this game, um, especially out west and and in general. I mean, anytime you win the bowl game, um, it just gives you that momentum on the recruiting trail. And, you know, even just for for guys like, say, Patrick O'Brien, I mean, UCLA is kind of their hometown school. And. Now a guy like O'Brien's like, hey, this is why I picked Nebraska. They beat UCLA, by the way, who is the team where all the guys in my area want to go to. But that's why I'm not going there. I'm going to Nebraska. Yeah, it's validation for everything that the coaches have been pitching to these recruits and selling to these guys. And um, and I think, you know, they weren't shy about saying that this is a springboard game for us, not only heading into next year, but also on the recruiting front. And, um, and I think that's something that Nebraska's kind of been battling with since the contact period started is I think they've been going, you know, head to head with some pretty good schools and, and, you know, those schools have kind of been negative recruiting against Nebraska, you know, pointing out their record and pointing out their struggles and, uh, and this game kind of validated a lot of that, um, a lot of what the coach has been telling the kids. You, know, you talk about recruiting, though. It's still going to be quiet for the next couple of weeks. Um, the calendar has changed. Give Husker fans an idea of really what can happen from now um, until January 15th. Well, we're smack dab in the middle of the dead period right now, which basically means that the coaches can't make outgoing phone calls to the recruits. They can't host recruits on campus. They can't go visit recruits and be in their living room. So, um, you know, the, the contact is limited, but it, it's not non-existent. The coaches can still communicate with these kids as far as, you know, direct messaging over Twitter or, um, you know, any type of messaging over social media, things like that. 
they can tell a kid, you know, over social media, hey, give me a call and then talk with them over the phone. So there's still a lot going on behind the scenes, but but that's what it is right now. It's all behind the scenes. And, and that's important for Nebraska to stay consistent, uh, you know, continue communication with a lot of these guys right now, um, you know, staying on their minds as we, you know, kind of inch through this dead period as a lot of their targets are going to play in all, you know, these All-American games and everything. And, and then the coaches convention happens. And then after that, then they'll be able to, to start the, you know, the, the in-home visits again, having kids on campus for official visit weekends. And Nebraska and Nate did lose out on two late guys um, before Christmas that they really had their hearts set on Markel Simmons um, and David Reese. Um, what, what happened there? I mean, I know at one point you felt pretty good on these guys. I mean, what, what, what was the determining factor on Nebraska missing these two guys? Yeah, really. I felt good on, on both of these guys at one point in time. Uh, two, you know, both of them visited for that Michigan State weekend, uh, which was, a, you know, a great <laughs> – I mean, you couldn't ask for a, a better uh, game to have these kids on campus for. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that uh, – um, it came down with David Reese. I think it came down with, uh, you know, uh, Florida and, and Texas were were involved with him longer uh, than any of the other schools. And he ended up going to Florida. Uh, you know, they you can't argue with the success they had this year. Um, you know, and, and I think that uh, that may have been the determining factor was that uh, it was a school, um, you know, down that had a, had a good year, uh, has some openings on their defense. And, and I think after the way things went with Michigan, that, that maybe David Reese just wanted to completely get out of the Big Ten and, uh, and go, you know, maybe go his own way and create something new, um, you know, make a name for himself down, you know, down in the SEC. So, um, and then with Markel Simmons, I think at the end of the day, it came down to, uh, to him wanting to be a little bit closer to home and, you know, be able to, to, you know, play for a team that, that has been doing a little bit better as well. So, um, you know, like I said, the, the Nebraska coaching staff, I think has, has gone up against some negative recruiting with the way that their season went this year. And, and I think that, uh, both David Reese and Markel Simmons are two examples of, of maybe, you know, that, uh, you know, being enough to sway them other directions. It's all-star game season two, Nate Klaus, as, as, as we move on, uh, and that, that's really what the recruiting world will be watching the next few weeks. It used to just be the Army All-American Bowl, then the Under Armour Bowl. There's also now the Semper Fi game, which has kind of established itself as the clear third game, uh, but still a lot of quality players in, in that ball game. Um, give Husker fans a few things to watch in these All-Star games this week. Well, yeah, the practices for the Under Armour All-American game have, have already began. Uh, Nebraska has one commitment playing in that game. That's Bo Wilson at at least Summit West High School. Uh, but also, you know, two main targets and, and maybe a chance at a third that will be playing in that game. The, probably the biggest target to keep an eye on is Lamar Jackson, who visited Nebraska for that Michigan State game. Um, you know, has has recently said that Nebraska is right at the top of his list. He's you know considering the Huskers along with USC, UCLA, Arizona State, and maybe Oregon still in the picture a little bit too. So, um, and then you also have Jawan Williams, a big time offensive tackle out of Washington D.C. and and the Willie Allen. 
Allen, uh, big time offensive tackle out of uh, out of uh, Louisiana. You know, two guys that I think Nebraska is really wanting to get on campus. Jawan Williams is saying that he's definitely going to visit. So, and he's a top. You know, all these guys are, are top. You know, rivals 250. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson, a top 100 guy. So uh, that's the first game to come. And then you've got the Semper Fi All American game uh, where you've got Nebraska commits JoJo Doman, JD Spielman playing in that game. Um, but also a couple other tar- targets like Isaiah Simmons, the uh, you know the talented safety slash wide receiver prospect out of Olathe North down in the Kansas City area, and then Amir Watts, the the defensive tackle out of the Chicago area, um, who put together an outstanding ju- or senior season, won a, a state championship, you know, which was the first state championship I think won by a Chicago you know public school league in in you know, a very, very long time. So, and with Malik Collins now declaring for the NFL, I think he, you know, Amir Watts at that defensive tackle position becomes a, in a very important, um, you know, target for the Huskers. He's going to be visiting uh, for an official visit here. Once the contact period starts back up in, in uh, middle of January, late January. Uh, so that's very important. And then you also have the U S army all American game, uh, where you've got John Raritan playing in that game, but also Matt Farniak, the offensive tackle out of South Dakota, is is playing in that game. I think it'll be uh, interesting to kind of see how Raritan and Farniak, um, you know, kind of get along. I know they're they're friends. They've they've um, you know they keep in touch. They communicate on a regular basis. They've been together several times at, on campus at Nebraska, and uh, they'll be playing side by side in this All American game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there and then as we close things out Nate I mean the, the needs for Nebraska um, briefly give um, Husker fans kind of an idea of maybe your two or three biggest needs to close the class well biggest needs I, I think you have to start with offensive tackle that's probably the the biggest you know glaring need uh, at this point in time I think they need to sign three players there Matt Farniak is right at the top of that list and then from there um, you know Royce Newman the the Missouri commitment out of Illinois is uh, has already visited um, he's very much in play for Nebraska probably maybe Maybe even a, a Nebraska lean at this point in time, uh, from what uh, from what we understand. And then you've got you know got a couple guys in the All American games that I mentioned. Uh, Jawan Williams is a big time player that said he's he's wanting to visit. Um, You've got Matt, you know Matt Farniak, Jawan Williams, Willie Allen. We'll see if Nebraska can get him on campus. Uh, Alaric Jackson is a is a big offensive tackle out of Michigan. We'll see what happens there. Um, you know, defensive line I think is is the other position or positions uh, that have uh, you know been a, a need and if probably maybe the the most head scratching right now. Not a ton of targets right now. Um, you know, along that front uh, that front five. So um, you know it's going to be interesting to see what happens there um you know Tramiel Ivy is the junior college defensive end I think uh Nebraska probably has the best chance at, at signing right now we'll see if they can get him on campus so that's going to be uh, difficult because after he decommitted from Oklahoma State right before the dead period uh, his his coach said that pretty much every school in the country was calling him to to see what's going on there so um but uh, definitely offensive tackle defensive line are, are two main uh, areas of need and then I think we'll see them take probably three uh, defensive backs in this class uh, as well all right Nate thanks a lot looking forward to following kind of how things play out that puts a wrap here for another edition of the Husker Online Show yeah.
Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.